because I befriended Josiah years ago. So there you go. It's like I tell folks, you can thank me for that meal you just ate because I married Jan many years ago. So, yeah, kind of along that line. If your faith is the most important part of your life, and it's the most important part of your family's life, then the church you're a part of has to be one of the most important decisions you ever make. Next Sunday, we will be holding a get-together, if you will, at 9.15. If you've, been, if you've been coming since January of 2020, which I know is a long time ago, right? Flown, flown by. But if you have, we would love to have you there and uh, just to hear a little bit more about how we've ended up here and who we are and why we do what we do. And so uh, if you could do that, the RSVP for that, we would love to get a chance to meet with you and talk with you a little bit about why renovation is who it is and why we do what we do. Amen? That's good. Donald Miller says, and many of you know Donald Miller, he's, he writes all kinds of different books, and, and I started reading him probably a decade and a half ago. But he writes this. He said, thousands of companies and churches shut their doors each year, not because they don't have a great product, but because potential customers can't figure out how the product will make their lives better. I don't think the church has a product issue. The church has a messaging issue. And as I've shared with you last week, one of the biggest frustrations for me when I came to know Christ was there really was no plan. I had to kind of figure it out. And I am kind of that guy. I've got a little bit of MacGyver bent to me. Those of you who know who MacGyver is. A little bit of MacGyver bent to me. I try to figure out what, what do we got to work with, and we, we go with that. And so what I did, and again, it took me, took me longer probably than it should have, but, but I learned some things along the way. But one of my passions has been, over the years, because of how I started, and I am a self-starter in so many ways, I realize not everybody is. Not everybody's going to try to figure out how to walk this out. They're just going to go, okay, just attend church, read, your, read scripture, pray. Those are all good things, by the way. Tithe, serve, do all those things. Those are all good things. But the plan of how to become and walk it out in a different way, just you just look around and go, well, they got that little piece and that little piece and that little piece. But you look up and go, I still don't know that I'm moving forward. I, I'm doing what the drill is, but how am I moving forward? Miller goes on to say, he talks about assuming people understand how your brand can change your brand. Never assume that. Never assume that when people walk in this door each week, or never assume because people know you're a Christian, that they already understand how what you believe in and how you're passionate about it can change their life. And I think one of the things we're going to try to do over this next seven weeks and, and maybe hopefully longer than that and start a little bit today is to remove some of the confusion. Because I think people are looking for solutions and steps 
to their problems. Many people already know their problem, okay? But they don't know how to walk out of it. They don't know how to walk this faith out the way that we, would, we know there's more to it. And one of the things I've learned over the years, most people don't take action on their own. But when they're challenged, and it makes sense how it changes their life, then they begin to assess it differently. For me, I can look at different things over the years. A few years ago, I was... uh, I had got into my middle linebacker weight, which I did not want to be in. You know what that means. <laughs> got a little heavier than I should be. Anybody ever been there? I don't know if that's a good... But you get there and you're going, okay, I, I, I am not suiting up anymore. I never did. I never was a middle linebacker, by the way. But I grew to that size. And I learned of a company called Revitalize down here in Chandler. And now they're around the town. You may hear them advertised. And it's a little pricey, Yes. But I went to them, and what I loved about their product was they took the confusion out of things, and they gave you a process and a step, and they promised something. If you'll do this, this is, what you, this is where you can get to. And as I look at where we are as a church, I don't know if you ask somebody, if, I mean, if somebody asks you right now, if I came to renovation, what can you promise me? Or if I... Accepted Christ as my Savior, what can you promise me? Now, again, we know that's a loaded question. It's a huge question. But again, I think our biggest issue is not a product issue. Our biggest issue is knowing how to articulate it and how to help people walk it out. And I think one of the bigger things is that we don't even know how to tell people what's at stake if they don't think what we're doing here makes any sense. You know, if, every, if we truly believe, and I think it's Francis Chan, I'm about to butcher his quote because I don't have it here and I should have. But if we believe that what we believe in is the answer to every marriage, to every family, to every community, to every city, to every country. It's, that is the answer. How in the world are we not throwing everything we have into that answer? What's at stake? Now, I know for me, I pushed it off years. I kept thinking, and when I was 16, I thought, well, someday I'll get back to this. Kind of thought that. And ultimately, I did. But for me, I was very fortunate. I'm not sure everybody always gets back there. I know they don't. And so what we tried to do over these last many years, and one of the things I want to say early on today, is that I'm going to repeat a lot. If you've been here a while, or you've known me, some of you have known me 24 years since I've been in Arizona, some longer than that, because you've moved here from, from Texas. I'm going to repeat a lot of things you've heard before. I'm going to do the best I can not to disclaim it. Just telling you up front. <laughs> okay, and you're going to, because many times you're going to go, well, I've heard that 12 times. Okay, you've heard it 12 times. Just saying, that's what we're going to do, okay? Maybe I can save us some time. I may not spend 10 minutes disclaiming everything along the way. Okay, every sermon. 
But the first one is this, and this is something, again, that, that, is, uh, that we have worked on, and I, I just felt like the Lord had shown me years ago, and, and you take it for what it's worth, and it came out of, honestly, out of, a, out of studying some stuff, some information that Barna had done over the years about how Christians get stuck. They get capped. They get stuck in a spot, and they no longer move. And I don't have, I'm not going to show you that slide today, but what we have come up with is something called the five C's. And trying to help people decide or trying to help people understand maybe, just maybe, where they are in their journey. Because I believe everybody, this is my personal belief, I believe everybody is in one of those five somewhere or in between. Whether you walk in here on Sundays, you're in one of those five, or whoever you meet out there, I believe is in one of those five. Now, you can argue with me about that, and you may be right, but I think this is true. The first C is conscience. That you're aware to some degree, but some people I would say are even ignorant of who God is. You could even be an atheist and really be ignorant of what God's plan is really for your life and how he can change your life. The second one is you can be indifferent. I lived a decade indifferent from God. You can know about God and him work in your life and harden yourself long enough to become indifferent to his moving. You just can't. Experientially, and I've, uh, you just can harden your heart. And the last one is you can be combative. Something along the way has happened in your life that when you hear about God or you hear about church or you hear about anything, there is this something rises up in you. And you want to fight it. You may even fight, want to fight the person and you don't even know them. Because God has hurt you, God's let you down, God did, whatever reason. Or somebody in your life that was supposed to be representing Christ looked nothing like it. The second one, and then there's, and there's transition. We'll talk about that. I'm not going to get into the weeds today on this. The second one is now all of a sudden I have the conscience. I've been born with this conscience. Romans 2 talks about it. Then I move into concern. In other words, I begin to be awakened. And some of you know this process. Some of when you came to Christ as a child may not may not remember this as well. Those who came as an adult, my guess is you remember when you begin to be awakened in a whole new way. And you begin to ask the question, is it true? In other words, what is, you know, is this truth? Pilate asked Jesus that question. What is truth? In other words, what can I count on? Is it true? Is it true for me? In other words, is it just selected people or can I be included in this number? And the third question is, is it true for me all the time? In other words, is it, is it depending on my behavior? Does God's grace really, really cover me all the time? And I believe the transition from there is salvation and you move to the convinced. You, you, people could argue with you all day long. You know that you know that you know what Christ has done in your life and he is your savior. You're comfortable there. And what I mean by that, that's a good comfortable. Comfortable is I am secure in that because I know, I've known people over the years who gave their life to Christ, but they still got this worry that they sinned or they did this or that, and God's grace somehow doesn't cover that, and there's this concern about them. But we want you to know that you're secure in Christ, I and mean, that's those who are convinced. I, again, I've said this before. I, I don't worry about God's grace because it's only because of God's grace I get in or I don't get in. So when I don't wrestle with God's grace... So I'm secure that I am his. 
But if we're not careful, we become complacent. Like in a marriage, you ain't never leaving because you just ain't growing. And if something major that God wants said to me, he'll tell my wife or he'll tell my pastor and he'll preach it. Otherwise, I'm just pretty good right here. The third one is capped. You're not able to grow. You're not able to grow because there are still things you've never dealt with. Could be strongholds. Could be shame. Had the ladder out here last week. Could be fear of being stretched, God moving you to that next rung. There's all kinds of reasons. We could spend a series, or at least a couple of weeks, just on the word capped. Why people are stuck. I don't believe that's where God wants us. Now, we may have to get there to recognize it. We may have to be there in order to move to the next place. We, may have to go, we will have to go through it. What we like to do is go around it. But what God is going to lead us to is to go through it. So we don't want to go back to it. He's going to want us to burn the bridge behind us. We ain't going back that way anymore. And it's terrible grammar. It's good preaching. <laughs> to the convicted. We talked about this a few weeks ago about the fact that 1 Thessalonians 1.5, by the power of the Holy Spirit, those, that church at Thessalonica, as Paul talked to them, by the power of the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. And when you get to that point, there's been this stirring and awakening. You begin to look around and go, this is unacceptable in my life. This cannot stay here. For me to be that person that I believe God's calling me to do, to be, that can't be in my life. You begin to search and begin to then Engage, well, stirring and awakening, and then you engage it. And what it means by engage there is you begin to figure out how to get out of that. You either go to a group or you read a book or you, hopefully you're on your face before the Lord is the first place you start. But you're saying what is going, as a dad or as a, as, a, as, a, as a mom or as a husband or wife or as a single, there's things that are habits or things that are going on. It, it could even be like Josiah or somebody mentioned or maybe Allie or somebody mentioned earlier. It could be a toxic relationship that you keep going. That you have to go, this is unacceptable to be in my life right now because it's not allowing me to go where I need to go. And the last one is the Compelled. 2 Corinthians 5, 14, 14 through 21, you can read, you could go look it up yourself, the whole thing there. It's where Christ talks, where Paul talks about we are Christ's ambassadors. But what I love is he said, for Christ, love compels us. Christ, love compels us. 
And in this context, the word translated compels mean to powerfully urge something, but it is not forced. To powerfully urge something, but it's not with a hammer going, you better do this. I think all we have to do is look at the cross. It should compel us. It should. The reason why we do communion is to remember. But being compelled should be a daily, moment-by-moment thing. And when you become in the compelled category, you begin to go, okay, I am going to begin to shed things. Again, I I, I wish they had a ladder up here now. I I, I was going to tell you that. Sorry about that. But one of the things, Josiah's going to go get a ladder. God bless his creative soul. But one of the things, again, I love about the stepladder is, is the higher you go on it, thanks, sir, the narrower it gets. Things have to fall off. They have to fall off. Because your focus becomes more and more focused on what Christ has for you. And the holy discontent, it's whatever breaks God's heart or makes him angry, he puts on your heart and tells you to do something about it. And let me, let me just a little caveat here. It's not to go tell the pastor, that pastor, I think you should do something about it. <laughs> this is individual. God stirs us individually. He does it as a body, but he also does it individually. And one of the things we're going to do through Uncommon, what we hope is, what if we end up having 8 or 10 or 12 people that all have the same holy discontent? That might tell a church where they're supposed to put their efforts. Huh. Kind of crazy to think that, huh? And the last one is, and I know as a father... And other things, you just, you, you, you know, I, I can only speak from that, man, and as a church, but as a church leader. But coming to the point going, not on my watch, is that going to happen? Yes, it is taking up the sword, the only offensive weapon, and begin to march. And we need to be teaching people, as Irvin McManus would say, how to pick up their sword and pick up their spear and get in the battle. One reason we're weak as a church is because we haven't taught people how to use the spiritual weapons that God has called us to. As we talked about a few weeks ago with Watchmen, a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other. And that's really what this uncommon is about. And you may say, well, Kurt, okay, I look at those five C's. What if I'm just in the first C over here and, and I'm attending this church and you're saying, I guess everybody else is over there. No, they're not. Don't worry about it. <laughs> they're not. Matter of fact, most Christians, I, it's, it's, it's overwhelmingly, we're talking 80% or higher, I think, from Barnum, maybe higher, maybe even closer to 90, are in the middle. Capped. We want to move people over here, but let me tell you this. If you're in any circle or 
any stage, whatever you want to call it, we want you here. You matter. And you're here for some reason. I don't know all the reasons that God has brought you here, but you're here for some reason. Part of it is not because you matter to us simply, it's because you matter to God. And, and all the fight that's been going on for your life, you could have been taken out a long time ago. Don't you want to stay around to see what the fight's all about? Well, we want to try to help you parse that, try to figure that out. Because the fight was all about your divine purpose. Ultimately, So we will be moving into uncommon this next week. I'm going to just briefly touch on it this morning. Over the next seven weeks, and you've seen our logo up there. Again, Josiah, I don't know, we made this five or six years ago. And the whole concept behind Uncommon, let me, let me just say this real quick. I don't have it in my notes, so I hope I can say it quickly and not take up more time. How did I end up with the whole concept of Uncommon? It really started for me back in the mid-90s and something we called Living Life to the Max. When we had a youth group in Texarkana, uh, it was called the Max, John 10, 10. The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full, living life abundantly, or living life to the max. So it was called the Max. You see my license plate. If you see my truck around, it's the Max. It's not because I think I am the Max, okay? It's because he is the Max. And it starts conversations about Jesus. My water bottle says the Max on it, okay? <laughs> just so if somebody picks it up, oh, that's Kurtz. Okay, so they just know. Okay, don't drink out of it. Don't, don't spit into it. Don't do anything. But we were driving across, driving from Little Rock up to northern Arkansas to Dawson McAllister. Had a, a place up there called Shepherd of the Ozarks. Stunning, unbelievable place, wasn't it? Is it, is it? It's still there. It's a camp now. Unbelievable in the Ozarks. I'm telling you, it's off the chart. I was driving. Jan was sleeping, which is a normal thing for our trips anywhere. Uh, as soon as Jan gets in the car, I mean, we could be going 10 minutes. Jan's going, she's just done. So it gives me a lot of time to pray and think and get those things. Okay, driving across northern Arkansas, those beautiful mountains, oh, stunning. And I don't know, this whole Max thing just started happening, just started coming to my mind, and the John ten ten, it just started kind of converging, and because I was already teaching a little bit on leadership, and and it just became this thing out of that, and we began to name our youth group out of it, and. Those things began to continue to unfold over the years, ultimately to what we're teaching today in Uncommon. But the term uncommon, we really bring it out of uh, 2 Timothy 2, 20 through 22. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes, uncommon, and some are for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to, do, prepared, prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, and love, and peace, 
along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Who you surround yourself with matters. Again, we said a thousand times, I, I disclaimer, sorry. I'll minister to anyone, but I choose my influencers very, very carefully because they impact everything about my life. Why does something become valuable? Well, first, there are some things that are simply irreplaceable. Like my wife and my kids, my parents, my, my siblings, and other significant relationships. They're irreplaceable. You don't go get another one. Another, another reason why it becomes valuable is it useful. You know, I don't know how much you ever work with tools or with hands, but sometimes you just find the right tool for that job, and that tool may be only worth a certain amount of money, but it's valuable to you whether it was worth $10 because it does the job, right? But something becomes valuable, whether it's monetary or not, it becomes valuable because it's useful. It's irreplaceable. And then the last one, Something becomes valuable because it's rare or uncommon. I'm telling you, in the world we live in today, you don't have to do much to stand above everybody else. And I don't mean in hierarchy. I'm just talking about in people going, man, I like the way they do business. You don't have to do much. Now, I recommend doing a whole lot. But service, in my opinion, this day and age, is so, the bar is so low that you don't have to be, do much. To I used to tell my kids, even simply as when they were going to school and stuff, I say, yes, sir. I said, tell your, your, your teachers and say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, good morning, Mr. So-and-so, whatever it is, thank you, please, because you will stand out. And it takes you about a fraction of a second to do it. So how are we going to get there? We believe there's the route is what we call it. If you're going on a trip, it's great to know where you're going, but you better know where you are. And so what we'll do the first few weeks, and I'll talk about just a second, is talking about where we are. Then we'll ask the question, what route are we going to take to get there? Then we'll ask the question, if we figure out the route, what's the vehicle? Then the destination. Because we'll, we'll clarify the destination up front. Always, for us, just so you know, so there's no confusion, the destination is always Christ-likeness. Always. Always. We believe in the holiness message. We don't believe there's any confusion about it. There's a messaging problem, but there's not a product problem. But you better know where you are. So we'll do some digging. And then we're going to try to give you some practices. 
and exercises as time goes on to begin to help you arrange your life in such a way that it reflects Christ. And hopefully some accountability that goes with that. Maybe not through this series, but on the back side of it. We'll help you with that. So the six steps we call them. Our blind spot, built to run, walk in front, sweat, laugh, cry, dream, cylinder, and ethos. Each one of these, the first two, are finding our location. The second two are the route. The fifth one is the vehicle. The sixth one is our destination, the ethos of Christ for the spontaneous reoccurring pattern of Christ-likeness in our life. We can't help it because of what is coming out of us, because he's changed us. Transformation, doing it in community, mercy, the kind of people who would live that out. Game changer is not up there, but it is the one thing that we believe is the starting point to this. A game changer is life-altering, time stops, you will never be the same again kind of moment. Life-altering, time stops, you will never be the same again kind of moment. Now, these moments can happen from devastation to the good. This young couple right here had a baby in the last few months. Game changer. (laughs) Life will never, ever, ever be the same again. It could be Jan and I getting married. Game changer. Be called to preach for me. Could be the death of someone. It could be divorce. Could be the day you took your first drink. For me, that was enormous because it took my life for almost 10 years. September 23rd, 2013, when we found out that Jan had breast cancer. Game changer. Life altering, time stopped. We would never be the same again, kind of moment. These moments are more than just getting a new job or going on a vacation, but they are life transformative. And again, this word is not necessarily a Christian word, and we've done that intentionally. I believe understanding where your game changer moments are, what they are, Maybe even why they're there, you don't always know. I think we could all say that. We're not sure why that was there. It just changed our life. And I'd say many people, maybe even most in the church, may not even know what their spouse's game changer is. It may even explain some of the issues in their marriage. 
Henry Blackaby, as I mentioned earlier in his book, Experiencing God, says this about, he calls them a crisis of belief, but they are game changer moments, I believe. When God invites you to join him in his work, he has a God-sized assignment for you to accomplish. You will realize you cannot accomplish it on your own. If God doesn't help you, you'll fail. This is the crisis point where many decide not to follow when they sense God is leading them to do. Then they wonder why they do not experience God's presence, power, and activity the way others do. That is an option that the Christians have. We have crisis. We all have game-changer moments, but especially Christians. And I want, the reason I'm bringing that in right now is because, as I mentioned last week, we get stuck, capped, as I mentioned earlier. And God brings these crises of belief, whether he brings them or they bring them, so however you want to figure all that out, but we are going to have to depend on God or we will fail. And he begins to stretch us. Ah, really look more like two runs instead of one. And we stretch and boom. Then he says, get steady and then get what? Ready. So he's about to move you again. Two more runs. Ah! Boom. Two more. No, just kidding. I ain't doing that. I'm not doing that. Repeating myself. But for so many of you, you've been praying for something, but you've not been willing to trust God, and you've been stuck and capped on that spot when what you've been praying for is on rung four and you're still on rung one. And again, I know you can shoot holes in my illustration. Shoot away. But I think we want to help people and clarify the message. And sometimes visuals do that. Scripture. <laughs> is loaded with people who had game-changer moments. They were never the same. The writer, most of the New Testament is written by a game-changer, knock-you-off-your-horse kind of moment. The Apostle Paul. Never the same again. So why do understanding game-changer moments matter? Because you matter. And the reason why that matters, that you matter, is that I think this day and age, one of our most obvious ways that we can share our faith instead of, I think in some ways it's the new apologetics, is to be able to tell where we were broken at some point and how God has healed us. And maybe even ask the other person, because we've chosen this word game changer intentionally, so you could t ask anybody far away from their faith or no faith or anything and say, just tell me a little bit about your game-changer moment. You know, a church, we didn't even have to say church. The, the phrase I use there is life-altering time stops. You'll never be the same again. And, and you begin to talk about your own brokenness at some point. But if you're going to ask them, be sure you care about listening. Don't do it to an end and to itself. Don't do it so you can get somewhere. So you can now, oh, I got them now. Open my, no, you care because they matter. They're not another notch. 
They're a person created in the image of God, and what they may not even understand how they've ended up where they've ended up, and they may never thought about the game-changer moments in their life, and there's not 50 of them. You really can narrow them down. But I do believe in the world we live in, we have got to be able to share our faith in the way that it has changed our life. And if we don't know how to articulate that and message, lack of a better way, message that, then we can kind of start understanding why people are not going to be as excited, excited about it if we're not. Remember years ago, I answered a newspaper ad because I was unemployed. Jen and I were married a week, and I quit my job. And, and I'm telling you, she was like, what have I done here? She, she still says that, I'm sure, often, but, but especially then. And I answered an ad about three months later, two months later, of selling smoke detectors, or not smoke, fire detectors. I don't even really know what those were. I had a little, I've got them one in my office. I have one left. I've kept it all these years. Vanguard made them, not the, not the investment. Vanguard is a, is a smoke de- a fire detector company. And uh, so I went and answered this ad, had to go through to a do- two-day class, didn't I, Dan? Had to go through this class, had to go out that weekend and try to sell those to everybody I knew. You know, this is a scam, goofy thing. I tried. You know how many I sold? Zero. You know what? I went back in the next week, and you know what they made me? Come on, Dan. Sales manager. <laughs> That's the truth. That is absolute. So then I taught the class on how to sell something I had never sold. <laughs> oh. I've kept that alarm 30 years just to remind me. Man, it's hard to sell something you don't believe in. It's hard to sell something. But you can't explain to them how it's changed their life. Because it hasn't changed yours. Oh, yeah, you can say, well, it changed my life in 1986. Remember, I came down front, gave my life to the Lord in front of that Baptist church. Work was done. We all know the work was just beginning. See, when I became a believer in 1987, I did not see it as an obligation. I saw it as an invitation. It was an invitation to a different life, to a different world that I didn't even know existed. It was the entryway to a larger narrative that I couldn't even see at the time. There was this huge divine drama that was already happening. And I just now became aware of it. It had been going on forever. I was even involved in it and didn't know it. But now I got to step in with eyes to see what I couldn't see. 
ears to hear what I couldn't hear, a tongue to speak what I would never spoken before, hands to the, put to the plow that I would never worked at before, feet to go where I would never gone before. The whole Christian life is not some kind of obligation. I'll do a few things to make sure I keep everybody happy, maybe, hopefully, God. And sure not one that feels like bondage and drudgery. But it is an invitation to the greatest adventure of your life. What if we could promise here at Renovation that we would help people live into what they always knew they were built for. The reality is we can't predict how or when you will die. But what we can do is help you write a story of what they will say when you die. That's what we can help with. Something happens to you spiritually when you accept God's course for your life. The Holy Spirit somehow or another unleashes differently when you accept and step into that crisis of belief. Can't explain it, can't give it to you in, in the sense of, okay, take a drink of mine because I drink the Kool-Aid and it's good. Because <laughs> what happens is God begins to change your thinking, your motives, your goals, your desires, your emotions. He begins to change all of it. Yeah, you're passionate before. Yeah, you're all fired up before, but now it's pointed in a different direction. It never was wrong or bad before. It was just pointed in the wrong way. But now he begins to unleash it in a unique way. It is life-altering. Time stops. And you cannot stay the same. What I will say is back to circle number one earlier. You will not stay the same. When I was 16 years old, God was pulling me, trying to drag me, if you will, trying to compel me to follow him. When I denied and I turned and was not willing to accept to follow him, I did not stay the same. I hardened my heart. The reason I can say that, I think, with confidence is that we'll never stay the same. Whether you follow Christ in his, or, or not, if you follow him, Holy Spirit's unleashed in a unique way. If you don't, you harden your heart. You're not going to stay the same. You may want it. And you say, well, Pastor Kurt, what you're talking about is just radical. It's too radical. The word radical for me is, the reason why it's radical, because if it was easy, you would have already done it. It becomes radical because it's going to be a lot of hard work. 
That's what I think of radical. We invite you into the story if you're not already walking in it. There may be along the way, you may even get to hear some folks who've taken this course with us before. And give some testimony to that. But I hope you'll be here. I think being in the room is important. I just do. I don't think it's old-fashioned. I just don't think it is. Um, thank God for technology. But I don't think it's old-fashioned wanting to be in the room. Something happens here that we can't explain. Would you stand with me? We're going to close in prayer. Thank you for hanging in there with me this morning. Allie, thank you for the pre-sermon. <laughs> yeah. Just thankful for our team. Just praying the Lord of all of us are listening. Just listening. Lord, we come before you today knowing that it would be easy even for some who've been here a long time, to go, oh, I can take off the next seven weeks now because I've heard this. Lord, I'm excited for Kirk Gentry to get to hear it again. And the reason is, Lord, because I know as we read your scripture and as we maybe go through some points, I'll see it different this time. I'll hear it different. And, Lord, I've done renovation of the heart, you know, in, in, in Dallas Willard's devotional. Multiple times, every time, something different. So, Lord, I pray that you would help our folks who are here to come and be here and to encourage. And if someone asks them about it, if they've done it before, it would be an encouragement to them. Lord, I pray for those today who maybe the first time, maybe the first Sunday here, I don't know, but, but especially the first time to hear this, that, Lord, that, that would in, hopefully intrigue them enough by your spirit to say, I, I want to know a little more about this. And Lord, because we do believe in, we do believe Barna's, we believe people are capped. Lord, help us to help ourselves and to help others to live into this, the uniqueness of how you've made us. Lord, we thank you today for the call in our lives. We thank you for the uniqueness of each one of our lives. Lord, I thank you today that everybody in here, I hope and pray they hear my heart when I even look at the seas or whatever, that they know that we love them no matter where, what stage or they never want to move out of the stage. But their life matters. It matters to you and it matters to us. Lord, help us today to be the kind of people that are irreplaceable, Lord, in a rare and are useful to you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for being here today. Go have an uncommon week in his name. Blessings.